Okay. So today we will continue our study in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. If you recall from last week, we are splitting this chapter up into three sections. The first section is the calling, which is what we looked at last week. Um, today we'll look at the purpose. And then when you see me again, teaching at least, it'll be the prayer. It'll be the prayer. So last week was the calling. And this week will be the purpose. So this is Ephesians chapter three. Before we get to the verses, we'll look at, matter of fact, let's just read. We'll read that now, and then we'll come back and dig into it later as well. So I'm going to just read it over. I'm going to start again in the beginning of chapter three, and I'll read down to verse 11 just so you get the context and refresh your memory. So the word of God reads, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote beforehand in brief, before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. The verses we're really going to dig into today, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages have been hidden in God, who created all things. Ten, our key verse, so that, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll stop there. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So last week, church, if you remember, we looked at the calling again, the calling of Paul, the calling of Paul to the Gentiles, right? We saw how God gave him a stewardship, right? And this stewardship came in the form of a revelation. It was a revelation that was hidden with God, a revelation that had leapfrogged the Old Testament prophets and the many mighty men and, and, and women of God, and it, it landed in the hearts and minds of the New Testament apostles and prophets with, with full clarity. Remember, there was this revelation. And that revelation was, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, through Jesus and his perfect life, Jesus taking on our sin, Jesus reconciling us, us to God and giving us eternal life that we would have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And that this gospel would not only be available to Israel, but to all peoples everywhere, including the Gentiles. So God revealed this revelation to the New Testament apostles and prophets with the purpose of these New Testament apostles and prophets going to all the world and telling them this good news, thereby opening, or I would say widening the doors of the kingdom of God, telling all to come in and be saved. Oh, where did I start? 
and be safe. And we looked at how also we have this calling and this purpose as well, right? We have this calling and this purpose to go and tell the world of the great mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel. When we use this word mystery, we're just saying something that was not known, something that goes beyond logic, that goes beyond our, our, our understanding. A mystery goes beyond our natural logic. So that's why this word mystery is, is being used. But we have this re responsibility as well to tell the world like the apostles did of this good news of Christ. But here's the key thing. But behind this purpose, behind this great mystery of the gospel and the calling of all people into the kingdom of God through Christ, guess what, church? Lies an even greater purpose. Lies an even greater purpose. See, if, if you thought that the end of the gospel was you and the kingdom of God, guess what? I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you thought that the end of the gospel was you being reconciled to God, if you thought that the end or the purpose of the gospel was you escaping hell, gaining eternal life, becoming a friend of God, becoming a son and daughter of God, then I'm sorry to disappoint you because that's not what we find here in chapter three or really anywhere else in the scripture. Right? So as I said, that's not found here in chapter three or really nowhere else in scripture. Well, some of you then may be saying, then what is the purpose of the gospel then? If the, gospel, if the purpose of the gospel is not me, if, it, if it's not me in the kingdom of God, if that is not the chief aim, then, then what is the purpose of this gospel, right? Well, let's see what the apostle states. So here in chapter 3, after Paul has described to us his calling, or as Paul has described to the Ephesians his calling, which is to go and share the mystery of the gospel with the Gentiles, he then lets them know, you know, through the gospel that, you know, that they can be promised, they can be heirs and partake of the promise, which he described, and where he described that calling. And then he describes his, his mystery of that calling, how God gave him that stewardship. But then we get down to verses 8 to 10, where here he begins to give us the purpose, the purpose of the mystery, the purpose of his calling, the purpose of him going and sharing his gospel to the Gentiles. I'm going to read it to you again. I'm going to start in 8, and I'm going to come down. I want you to see what our key verse is in 10. I want you to see the word that I'm going to point out here. Again, he says, verse 8, chapter 3, to me the release of all the saints as grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things. He, he described that already in the previous verses about the Gentiles being heirs, um, uh, partaking in the promises of God, um, being of the same body with Israel, the same body of the Messiah. So he describes that, but then he goes and he gives us verse 10. At verse 10, you're going to see is our connection. In verse 10, he's going to tie in the calling with the purpose. So look what he says here in verse 10. Look at our key word. Remember Bible scholars, what is our key word here in verse 10? He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So God has given Paul this grace to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to tell them the infallible riches of Christ, to bring to light this mystery of the gospel. Verse 10 then says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the churches, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 
My version of the NASB verse 10 starts with so that, but if you have the, uh, the New King James Version, it'll say to the intent that, or if you have the NIV, it will say his intent was. So the intention of God giving the New Testament apostles and prophets revelation of the gospel, specifically that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with Israel, the intent of God making the revelation plain to Paul so that Paul could go and bring this light of the mystery of the gospel to tell of the unsearchable riches in Christ. Verse 10 says, so that the manifold, meaning the intricate, the detailed, the, the grand wisdom of God might be made known through the church, to the rulers and authorities, in the heavenly places. That is a bombshell. That is, I hope you hear a, like a bomb going off here in verse 10. This is a bombshell. What we see in this text, verse 10, is that the heart of the gospel, church, it's not you, it is not me, but God's glory ultimately. God's glory is at the center of the gospel. See, here in verse 10, we see that through the gospel and by the church, God is displaying his glory and wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. He's giving us the purpose, the intent. Now, I know that some of you are saying, what do you mean? How is God displaying his wisdom through the church or through the gospel by the church? Well, to understand that, first, let's start by identifying the uh, intended audience, the intended audience of verse 10. So in verse 10, we see that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are the intended audience of his grand display of wisdom. And when, we, when we're talking about rulers and authorities, that's just the Bible's way of describing angels, right? That's what we find in other places in scripture. You can go to Colossians as well, when the Bible uses rulers and authorities, or sometimes your translation may say principalities, he's talking about angels, angels. But the question you should be asking then, which angels, right? Which angels is he talking about here? The good and holy angels? The ones that Hebrews 1.14 states that they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for those, for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, those angels? Or is Paul referring to, or is it's the audience, the bad angels or the fallen angels, which would be Satan and his group? Well, here in the letter to the Ephesians, for example, we see two references to Satan or the fallen angels when the, when, uh, when the heavenly beings are described, when Paul is talking about the heavenly places. One of those examples is chapter two, verse two, where Satan is called the prince, what? Of the power of the air. The air is the upper heavenly places. So Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. So that, that's one occasion. Another occasion is a very popular verse that many of us know, chapter six, verse 12, where the apostle says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but here goes our word, but against rulers, against the powers, or some translation will say principalities, against the world's forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the what? Heavenly places. So the identity of the angels here in verse 10 is, is really, it's debated amongst many Christians. Um, some believe that God is displaying his glory and wisdom to you know, the bad ones or the fallen angels, Satan and his crew and others will say, no, this is to the good angels, the holy angels. But 
I believe that it's, it's, it's both, that God is displaying his glory and wisdom to both the fallen angels and the good angels. So let's first, let's look at how through the gospel and by the church, God is displaying his wisdom and glory to the holy angels. Let's look at it from that perspective. And to get that, you would have to turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 10 to 12. So we've looked at this verse before, but I'll just take you there again. So in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Let me put this here, and I'll read it to you. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 10, as to the salvation, so we know what the subject or the theme is here. He says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person are the the time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look what he says at the end of this verse. Things in which angels long to look. Things in which angels long to look. So, the Old Testament prophets had prophesied of this great salvation. And remember, salvation means deliverance. It means to be delivered from peril, to, to be uh, delivered from evil or danger. And so he's saying that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied of this great salvation. So the spirit of Christ was working in them, giving them the words to write or say. But because of the revelation was not fully made clear to them, they fully didn't understand what they were saying. So when, when David and many of the Old Testament prophets would prophesy, they fully didn't even get what they were saying. They didn't fully didn't have the, the, the whole understanding of, of what they were writing about when they were writing about the salvation. But not only did these Old Testament prophets not fully understand what was happening or how God was going to work things and bring about the salvation, but the text says even the angels, the angels didn't even understand it well. See, this, this salvation, this gospel really was truly hidden with God, as Paul would say. It, it was not clearly known. It was not clearly understood. And so Paul, or Peter in verse 12, I said, even the angels, they longed to look into the salvation that was to come. So from the perspective of the good angels, they longed to know, how is this salvation going to work? How is God going to accomplish it? See, see, the, see, when the angels would look down, they, they see this, this fallen world. They, they see Adam and Eve and, and how their act brought about all this rebellion in the world. They, they brought about all this chaos in the world. And they're wondering, how is God going to do it? How is he going to fix this broken world? How is he going to save these rebellious people without going against his character of holiness? How is he going to stop all the sin that is running rampant in the world? How is he going to do it? And then they see the gospel and it's like, Whoa, he's, he's going to send his son, and, and his son is going to become one of them, and his son is going to take on human flesh, and, and oh, and his son is going to live the perfect life that none of them lived, and, and oh, he's going to make his perfect son, his perfect and holy son, take on their sin, and in exchange for their sin, he's going to give them his righteousness, and, and, and oh, they're going to become heirs of the kingdom of God. While at the same time, God is also going to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and, and judge the God of this world and, and establish his own kingdom here on earth. Oh, the wisdom of God. See, 
see, do you see it from the perspective of the, of the angels? All oh, the wisdom of God when they see what God is doing in this world, when they see what God is doing or what he did through the gospel. See, when you look at, to the, look at it from the perspective of these fallen angels, it's like, whoa. They, they were longing to see how God is going to bring about this salvation. They were longing to see it carried out. When they see this, it's like, whoa. So from the perspective of the holy angels, as they look down at the church and they see Jew and Gentile unified, people who were, were hostile with one another, now unified. When, when they see black and white and, and Asian and Mexican living in harmony with one another and hostility ended, they're saying, oh, wow, look at the wisdom and might of God. Oh, look, now they're, they're sacrificially loving one another versus killing one another as, as Cain with, uh, with Abel after the fall. Oh, look, they have all things in common. They're, they're caring for one another. Oh, look, they're not gossiping about one another, but th their words are now seasoned with salt and ministering grace to the hills. Look at the wisdom of God. See, that, that's, that's the perspective. That's what this, this gospel is showing. It's showing the wisdom. It's showing the glory of God. I've said this in the past that um, since the heavens declared God's glory, God could have just, again, pointed to the heavens to really show his glory, church. He could have just pointed to the sun, the earth, the moon. He could have pointed to how, again, like the earth is the proper distance from, from, the, from the sun and how it spins at the right speed and how it makes life bearable on earth. He, he could have pointed to the, the giraffe, the whale, the, the orangutan, and, and how he made all of these creatures, but to display his wisdom, what he uses, if you will, to display the ultimate glory of his wisdom is a church. He used the people made in his image, all under the, the headship of his son, living unified, striving for the same purpose, loving one another as himself. He says, that's my glory right there. That's my wisdom put on display right there. It's the church. It's the church led by my son. Now that's, that's putting my wisdom on display for all of the heavenly hosts, the rulers and the powers and the, and the heavenly places to see my wisdom is grand. That's what I'm going to use. It's using the body of Christ. It's using us. It's using the church to display his glory and his wisdom to the heavenly places, to the heavenly uh, intelligence, if you will. Now, from the perspective of the fallen angels, when they see what God has done through Christ and the gospel and then through the church, it's like, oh, who is this God that we have rebelled against? We are doomed. We thought that we were destroying him by killing his cross, his Christ, and, and nailing him to a cross. We, we thought that we were bringing all of this evil into the world, but now they're safe in this Messiah that he has. Now we can't use the law anymore to condemn them. Now we can't use the law to bring them into sin. Look at the wisdom of God. Either way, God is glorified, whether it's through the holy angels seeing the majesty and the mind of God or the fallen angels seeing their destruction from the wisdom of God. center of the gospel. His glory is at the center of the gospel. Now, another thought we may be having when we consider all of this is, wait, if the glory of the gospel is not me or you, then what do we do about all these verses about God's love for us? 
I thought that helps the chief in that God just, God loves me and he's come to save me and he cares for me. What do I do about all these other verses if, if, if the object of the gospel is his glory, if, if it's putting his wisdom on display? Well, you embrace all of those verses because they are true. And, and this is where we as Christians have to deal with the tension found in scripture where two things are true at once. This is also where our Western binary thinking of either or puts us at a disadvantage from a Eastern mind who thinks both end. If you remember the, um, the Hebraic, the, the teaching we did on the Hebraic mind. Yes, it is true that the heart of the gospel is the glory of God. But it is also true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16. It is also true that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Yes, it is also true that you are on God's mind, that he has many thoughts towards you, Psalms 139, verse 17. It is also true that you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and on that day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Solomon, like Solomon in the Song of Solomon, Christ will say to you, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. Song of Solomon 4-7. These are all true. These are all true, church. But it is also true that God is about his glory. Okay, well, go back to the Exodus. I always go to the Exodus, but go back to the Exodus. Where God tells Moses in Exodus 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, that he has seen the affliction of his people. He tells Moses that he has heard their cries and their groaning and that he is now coming down to deliver them. But here's the thing. God does not deliver Israel out of the hands of Egypt on day one, even though he could. But he chooses to allow Israel to stay going through their little trial while he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart and bring multiple plagues on Egypt. Why? So that his glory, that his power and might can be displayed in Egypt and to the Pharaoh. The Lord tells Moses in Exodus eleven nine, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that in order that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. See, this teaches us something about God, church. It teaches us something about God, and it teaches us something about when we're going through trials. And that is, we may beg and plead and ask God to take us out this trial, to get us out of this. But just like God did with Israel, and he allowed them to stay longer in bondage for a little while longer so that his glory will be maximized and put on display, God also does the same thing in our situations. Yes, we beg and we plead and we want God to take us out of this, but God will allow us sometimes to remain in that situation so that he can put his glory on display or to maximize his glory. So as you are going through tough times, brothers and sisters, and not preaching to myself, we have to begin to tell God, or we have to begin to say this to the Lord, glorify your name, God. I don't like being in this circumstance. I don't like the situation. But if it brings you glory, God, glorify your name. Church, he's, he's going to bring you out. He's going to get you through it. But guess what? He's also, he's also going to get glory to his name while bringing you out or taking you through it. 
So church, two things can be true at once. God's glory and his love for you. They are not contradictory. They are not mutually exclusive. But here's the thing. But both are put on display and ultimately accomplished through Jesus Christ. And this is the final point that Paul makes in verse 11. Look at verse 11 in, in chapter 3, what he says here. He says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the purpose of God, which is his glory, and here in Ephesians 3.10 is demonstrated by his wisdom, this purpose was accomplished in Christ, or by Christ. See, it is in Christ where we come face to face with God's love. It is in Christ that we are reconciled to God. It is in Christ that we become heirs of the kingdom of God. It is in Christ that we become sons and daughters of God. All of this displays the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it is in Christ, it is through Christ that the Father accomplishes his eternal purpose, which is ultimately the glory of his name. So with all that being said, I hope that you see that the gospel, church, is bigger than you or I. It's bigger than our personal sins and our personal relationship with God, but it's about God's glory all of life, church, all of life, believers, truly, it is about God's glory. It's about God. Think about it. We eat to the glory of God, right? First Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God is the center of everything that we do. It's all about God. It's all about him being lifted up. It's all about him being exalted. Life is all about his glory. Our Matthew 5, 16, where we're told um, to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your father who is in heaven. There's the Sermon on the Mount. The attitudes, Matthew 5. What is the objective of our good works? Jesus said that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. God's glory, that's the point of life. Now, the glory of God can really be a hard concept for us to understand as humans. Because think about this. If another human was self-absorbed with his glory, we would say that this person is arrogant or has a pride issue, right? That's what we would say. Nobody would even want to be a person that is all about, be, like be around a person who is all about their glory, but not with God. See, God is worthy of all praise and all honor. Why? Because it is he who has created us and not we ourselves. Psalms 100 verse 3, because he spoke things into existence, the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Right? Because the nations are like a drop in from a bucket before him, Isaiah 40, 15. Because he sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, Isaiah 40, 22. Because he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, Isaiah 40, 22. 
because his greatness is unsearchable, Psalms 145.3, because the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great in loving kindness, Psalms 145, verse 8, because he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times those which have not been done, Isaiah 46.10. worthy of all the glory glories to his name the hope in the center of the gospel not the hope but the center of the gospel is god and his glory him being lifted up on high which means that as his followers as people living here on the earth we need to be sure that we are not glory stealing we need to be sure that we are not attributing glory to people who don't deserve it, but that we are attributing all glory, that all good things come down from God, the Father of lights. Glory belongs to God. So we got to watch out for our glory stealing. And our, our glory stealing often starts with ourselves. Or something grand or something is happening, and we really think that we're doing something. We give credit to ourselves, knowing that, Outside of God, there's no good inside of you. We can take no credit for nothing we've done. I don't care if you're working hard in school or at work. It is all God's glory. We can't glory still and give ourselves the credit. We also got to watch us giving glory to other people. Even the Apostle Paul in Scripture will sometimes look at Paul and we'll put him on this pedestal as if he is divine as well. When Paul only did things because God's grace was working mightily in him. There's no glory in it for Paul. Anything that Paul has done, it was because God, again, he gave him grace to accomplish and do it. So we can't put other people up on the pedestal and give them glory. Or even our favorite Christian speakers that we like, our favorite Christian writers, our favorite Christian pastors that we like. They only who they are because God's grace is working mightily in them. It's nothing special about them. The other group we got to watch it for is the popular thing in our culture is politicians. We can't give them any glory if they're doing anything either. Any good that happens in this world, it is all God's hand. I remember um, back when, when President Obama was first elected, I watched an interview with him. And he started off, the, I don't know if it was an interview or if it was even at his inauguration, but he said he started off his speech by saying, I was not born in a manger. Why did he say that? Because so many people was putting him up as the Messiah, giving him the glory as he's going to come and save and change the world and do all these things. So he starts off his speech by saying, I am not the Messiah. Why? Because people had all of these hopes there. They put all their hope in him. They were glorifying and lifting him up. Oh, glory goes to no person, no politician, not even ourselves, not even the great apostles we see in scripture. Anything great, that's the work of God's hand. So church, we must understand here from what Paul has shown us with the, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of God working in Christ and, and creating this church. We must see that the purpose of all of this is not you and I, we're not at the center. It is God and his glory, church. It's the ultimate purpose. God is working in Christ. Or God worked through Christ to redeem us to himself. Yes, that's true. 
God worked in Christ to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and establish his kingdom. That is true, yes. And God is going to bring all things under Christ under one hand, as Paul taught us in Ephesians 1, yes. And every knee will bow and every tongue will pass in her, on earth, in the heavens, underneath the earth, that Jesus is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. Again, it's the glory of God. That's the eternal purpose that Paul says in here, the eternal purpose, or in the Greek, it's the, it's the purpose of the ages. Ultimately, it's, it's God and his glory. The other thing I want you to see here in this text that we looked at is you have another audience watching. We're talking about the principalities and the authorities in the heavenly places. We're talking about angels. You're living your life out before them as well. They look down, they see us as a church, they're seeing the wisdom of God. They look down, they see us loving one another. As I mentioned, oh, look at the wisdom of God, look at the power of God going and taking these broken and dirty hearts and replacing it with a soft heart of flesh to now they're loving one another as God calls them to love. See, we have another audience as well that's looking, fallen angels and uh, holy angels. So church, glorify God with your life. That's ultimately what this comes down to. Glorify God with your life. His eternal purpose is, is his glory. Don't glory still but live for his glory, pursue him. Give him thanks in everything. Praise his name for your family as we just seen young and her um, daughter doing, thanking God, giving him glory for each other. Every second, every chance you can go, praise God, give him glory, lift him up on high. Ask God to change your heart to give you much more an awareness of his glory, church. It's about God, it's about him. It's the point. That's the point I hope you're seeing here in this text here. God is going to demonstrate his wisdom, the glory of his wisdom to the principalities in the heavenly places. Well, at the same time, he's loving us. Only God can do that. And that goes beyond our understanding. So I pray that God is blessing your heart through this word, church. Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We thank you because you are so good. You deserve all praise. Right now we're speaking to you. We have a relationship with you because you initiated, you went and changed our hearts. You opened our minds, Lord God. We praise you, Lord, that right now we can speak and you hear us, Lord God. Oh God, that you are our great protector, that you watch over us, Lord God. It's you we love. We thank you, God. Lift your name up on high, Lord. Teach us to be more aware of your glory, to see your glory in creation. Teach us to just regularly have praise coming out of our lips. Thanking you for everything, Lord God. The good, the bad, all. Praising you, Lord God. So get glory out of our lives, Lord God. Use us for your glory, for your namesake, Lord God. Help us to decrease and thinking about ourselves, Lord, and to make you center, to make you number one, to make you number one, to make you the true foundation of our life, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for revelation. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that has opened up your scriptures and allowed us to see your glory in it. We lift you up on high, Lord. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.